So 1010 and 2020, a part of our vision for this year that we believe that God has placed on our heart is to see 1,010 people come to know Jesus as their personal savior, come to commit their lives to Jesus and begin a journey of real discipleship. That, that, that's our dream, that's our heart for this year. And so this series is a vision series. And a few times a year, we like to return to this and keep the vision in front of the people. How many of you guys know vision is important? How many of you guys know it's, it's important to, to know where you're headed, to have a goal, to have a dream, to have a direction? And so primarily the vision of Heart of the City Church is to be a people after God's own heart. And for us, that's twofold. That's twofold. Uh, it's kind of a double entendre. So to be a people after God's own heart in the sense that we are a people who are pursuing the heart of God, to know him more, to draw close to him, to, to find out what he is like so that we can be like him. And that really leads into the second part of it is that we want to be a people after God's own heart in the sense that we are children who take after our father, that we would learn to have a heart like God has for his people. Amen? Amen. We believe that that's expressed for us primarily in four ways. We want to help people know God. We want to help people... Okay, we're going to go a little bit stronger this time. I'm going to say them with you, okay? We're going to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Better. Better, yeah. So last week um, was, was a really cool thing. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to be here. I was celebrating six uh, years of marriage with my beautiful wife. This is my wife, Micaiah. And uh, we, we took the weekend to just be together and celebrate. And honey, I just want to honor you. You're such an amazing partner and you're my best friend. And I couldn't do what I do without what you do. Um, sorry. I'm, actually, no, I'm not going to apologize. If you guys knew how dope my wife was. You wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, why is he making a big deal out of her? Um, anyway, last week, uh, my dad, J.O., he preached a message on, can you see it? Can you see the resemblance if you didn't know? It's mainly this, I guess. But uh, my, He preached a message, uh, kind of a mix. It was, he preached the last message of the deathbed series and also simultaneously the first message of 1010 and 2020. It was his deathbed message, but it was also with the focus of knowing God, which is our first expression of being a people after God's own heart, which means that this week I'm probably going to talk to you guys about finding freedom. And for us, we believe that we primarily find freedom in the context of relationship, relationship that we find in a, in a group atmosphere, a small group atmosphere. We believe, yes, we want to come into the house. We want to praise with the saints, but there's something about getting in a, a smaller context where we can get real and we can get close. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, now we're going to go into it. This message is called the sixth love language. You guys familiar with the five love languages? You guys are really going to like the sixth one. (laughs) We're going to jump into the word. Uh, Three primary passages for you tonight. Um, Proverbs 27, Hebrews chapter 10, and James chapter 5. That's going to be where we spend most of our time, although I am going to reference a few other passages. Uh, Proverbs 27 is, uh, or I'm sorry, just the book of Proverbs. It's a, it's a collection of wisdom literature that was uh, most, mostly attributed to King Solomon. Are we familiar with King Solomon? King Solomon was the son of David, yes, and which made him the third king of 
Excellent, yes, the third king of Israel. And so uh, uh, Proverbs, he, uh, is considered one of the five books of poetry or wisdom from the Old Testament. Okay, and so Proverbs is a re- it's kind of unique the way that it's built. It's broken into mainly uh, lots of little short phrases. Um, rather than it being kind of in story form, there's a few parts of, of Proverbs that are kind of more story form. But mainly it's just like little nuggets, little gold nuggets of wisdom that God had put on Solomon's heart. And so um, I, I, I want to read from uh, chapter 27. We're going to just read three verses because there's three verses. Uh, there's more than that, but there's three verses that focus on friction between people. This is going to be fun. I'm excited. Okay. So we're going to look at verses 5, 6, and 17 from uh, chapter 27 of the Proverbs. Verse 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Not a lot of amens. Okay. All right. Here we go. This one's good too. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And 17. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Can, Can you say friction? Mmm, good. All right, now let's go to Hebrews 10. All right, the book of Hebrews is, is one of the New Testament letters. Not totally confirmed that it's by the Apostle Paul, but most of us think so. Uh, the Apostle Paul, the central purpose of Hebrews, it would appear that it's, it's mainly there to encourage Jewish believers to continue to mature in their faith in Christ while warning them not to, res- to revert back to their old ways of, of Judaism, as it were. So it's, Paul's like, hey guys, don't forget, this is the way. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And so um, the, the, the author, I said Paul, but it might not be, the author spends a lot of time talking about the, the contrast between the law and the new covenant we have in Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 10, the author describes and, and, and does this comparison of the, the, the limited value of the, of the animal sacrifices of the old covenant compared to the incredible, infinite value of the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And then he goes, he goes on to talk about how we should live in response to the assurance that we have in Christ. Okay, that's Hebrews 10. We're going to jump into 25 and 26 verses. Uh, verses 25. I'm sorry. Not that. Verses 24 and 25. Here we go. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Amen. Oh, I can't wait to unpack that one. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, but first, let's read from James. The book of James is another letter. It's a, the book of James is, is kind of in a different classification. It's known as one of the general letters or general epistles of the Old Testament. Um, I'm sorry, the New Testament, my bad, uh, of the New Testament. And, and the reason it's considered general or described that way is because it's not meant to be for uh, a specific church or a specific city, but the way that James addresses it to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So James is recognizing that the, that the people of God are, 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 are spread about and, he's, and this is being written as a general letter. And so um, you might be thinking, well, if it's James, okay, that must be James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder, but actually it's It's most likely that this is James, the brother of Jesus, because by the time that the book of James was written, it's very likely, um, history would show that the son of thunder, the brother of John, that James was already dead. And so this is most likely James, the brother of Jesus, okay? In James chapter five, this is the conclusion of the book of James. It's It's a pretty short book, only five chapters. But in it, James is giving some final warnings 
some final encouragements and instructions. And we are only going to read the last sentence of the whole letter. And it's two verses, verses 19 and 20 of James chapter 5. Here we go. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay. There's, there's quite a bit to digest there between Proverbs 27, Hebrews chapter 10, and James 5. So we're going to pray that God is going to bring it together. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing even between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. God, we thank you that you, you meet us with your word and that you transform us from the inside out. Lord, we pray that you would, you would do that tonight among us, God, that you would change us, that you would mold us and shape us according to your will, and you would do it through the delivery of your word. God, I pray that every word that escapes my mouth that is not of you and doesn't, it is not a good representation of your word, I pray that it would fall to the ground and be forgotten. But we pray that your word, your truth would take deep root inside of our hearts and that we would never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So a little over four years ago, some of you guys will remember, a lot of you won't. Um, a lot of you I don't think were with us yet, but a, a little over four years ago, uh, we were uh, at the fairgrounds. How many of you guys remember Heart of the City Church at the fairgrounds? Oh, yeah. yeah, so what had happened is we, uh, our old building had sold, but this building was not ready for occupancy. I know you can, it's hard to imagine now because we're so blessed with this building, but there was a time when this was a showroom with aggregate flooring and it was very cold and there was no stage and there was windows all right here and that was all open and a lot of change. Yeah, the front door was right here, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot has changed. But during January and February, we were basically uh, houseless in a sense because the old building had sold, but this building could not be occupied by people yet. And so we found ourselves at the fairgrounds for all of January and February of 2016 and we called it the rally. As you might expect at the fairgrounds, there was not a lot of room for offices. There's really no room for offices. We put up some like fake walls, you know, those like three quarters walls that help like separate things that have like, for some reason they're soft on the side. Anyways, we put up those walls in, in a big room and we, and we put, in order to create an office space, we, we, we put it um, a bunch of folding tables in a ring. So we were all facing each other basically. And, and we just had this big old shared workspace. And, uh, you know, I have fond memories from that time. I mean, it was really special because it was a time of momentum. It was a time of transition. We knew we were headed somewhere. We were so excited about this building. And we were excited, too, that we were at the fairgrounds at that time. But what that work situation meant was that the staff spent a lot of time together. And when I say a lot, I mean so much. <laughs> so much time together. Like my dear friend Stephen says, the good news was that we became a family, and the bad news was that we became a family. <laughs> we got real close during that time. And I remember one day we were having a discussion around that big uh, square thing of, of folding tables, and uh, we were having a discussion about how we can get, uh, how we can strategize to get more volunteers involved in certain ministries. And um, I was younger then, a few years. I'm going to blame it on that. And uh, I made a very, very immature comment during that discussion about kids' ministry that I'm ashamed of. 
Uh, but nevertheless, I need to tell you about it because it's, it's, it's the story that makes everything make sense. So I said something stupid along the lines of, you think people like to work in kids' ministry? <laughs> Shelby, I'm so sorry. I, I repent. I repent, Shelby. It was so stupid for me to say. And I'll never, I'll never forget it, I don't think. I remember it as clear as day. Craig Brown looks me right in the eyes, as serious and as earnest as can be, and he says, I rebuke that. And <laughs> Dad, I'm glad someone did. <laughs> um, no, it was good. It was good, but it, the room got really silent because all of a sudden the atmosphere had changed and you could cut the air with butter, like butter. And, and, and I, I, I was so, I was kind of taken back. I was embarrassed for sure because no one had ever said that seriously to me before. We joked around like, oh, you know, but never seriously, I rebuked that. And I went, I just was kind of shocked and I was like, you rebuke what? <laughs> not, not, in a, not in an attitude way. I was just like, shoot. I just stepped in the wrong thing right now. And he said, I rebuked that mindset. And then he went on to explain why the comment that I had made was not healthy or helpful for the vision of the church and where we were headed. And uh, I didn't say a whole lot more during that meeting. And if <laughs> I, was, I was made silent, you know, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps his mouth shut, right? And uh, I, was, uh, I was being a fool and I needed to shut my mouth. It was a super uncomfortable moment. I still kind of cringe when I think back to it because I just, I, I can just picture it. I'm just sitting there. He's directly across from me and just, I rebuke that. But I'll tell you this. I'll never forget that, I don't think, as long as I live. And you can ask Craig, sometimes when, you know, we're kind of being introduced together to people, I'll, I'll still mention that day about how Craig rebuked me directly and it changed me. And it did something real inside of me. And I am so thankful. And, and I'll, be, I'll be honest, that's not the only time that he has rebuked me when I needed it. But, but that is the time that sticks out to me the most because it was so direct and it was so real. And I had such an opportunity to get offended. But instead, I just went, dang, you are right about that. You are right. It transformed me. And I can tell you, I don't make comments like that about kids ministry anymore. And neither should you. <laughs> so I want to ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear the word rebuke? Does it feel cozy? Does it give you the warm fuzzies? Probably not. Actually, for, for most of us, we pr it's probably not even in, in our vocabulary. You know, it might seem kind of old school or archaic. For my generation, I kind of feel like it's borderline a cuss word among us. Not that it is, but we treat it as such. But I hate to be the bearer of inconvenient news. Actually, secretly, I love to be the bearer of inconvenient news. <laughs> I don't hate it at all. I love it. I love, I love when the scriptures call me out of convenience. It stings a little bit, but it transforms me. So anyway, I love to be the bearer of inconvenient news that rebuke is all throughout scripture. Yep. And it is not only described as a part of a godly life, but it is explicitly commanded by both Jesus and Paul. Something, something we should learn to love, okay? 
So I want to talk a little bit about that word. In the Hebrew, the, work is, the word is tekekah, which means rebuke, of course, but also correction, reproof, argument, punishment, or chastisement. Why am I telling you the Hebrew word? The Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew. The New Testament is primarily written in Greek. We like to go back to the original languages because that was the language in, it, during the time of the inspiration of God speaking to the authors. Does everyone understand why it would be important to go back to the original languages? Sometimes I, I wonder in the United States if we know that the English is not a very old language. Wow. It hasn't been around forever and it's not the default one of the world. Wow. Anyways, we'll continue. I love English and I love, I love America. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, there's a place for humility when it comes to having regard for the older things. In Greek, it is epitimao. I, that's hard. Which means to rebuke, to warn, to charge, to, admo- to admonish, or to sternly tell. However you want to try to pad or soften it, rebuke by its nature is neither cozy nor comfortable, just by nature. Um, I would just ask you for a minute to, to picture what iron sharpening iron looks like, right? Friction, yeah. Um, yeah, if you know, who said sparks? I was just going to say, oh, sparks, yeah. If, you, if you've ever sharpened something, you probably have experienced that there can be so much friction so much heat at times that sparks can fly. Now, I want you to picture this. What if iron had a nervous system? Wow. Ouch. Ouch. Good. Probably wouldn't feel very good, would it? The answer is no. The answer is no. If iron had a nervous system and during the sharpening, it would not feel good at all. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I was, I was wanting a little bit more from you there. Um, and yet Solomon said that the wounds of a friend are faithful in comparison to the profuse kisses of an enemy. Now, the picture that this scripture puts in my mind is one of surgery. Now, I, wanna, I want you to imagine right now that I get offended at a surgeon for, you know, putting me under and removing a, a cancerous tumor from my body successfully helping me to, and, and I'm able to be cancer-free after that, so on and so forth, and, and then I'm mad at them because they cut me open. Wow. Like, that's, that's, that would be the focus. I go, well, you cut me open. Why would you do that? And they're going, because you, you, I needed to remove this thing that was killing you. And we're offended. And then another surgeon, another surgeon sees the cancer in the body and goes, ah, not a big deal, not a big deal. Won't, won't do you any harm. And then I thank that surgeon and say, oh, you're such a good friend. You're such a good surgeon. And even though the, his lack of willingness to deal with what was going on in my body would, would probably lead to my death. I also get another picture when I think about this. Do you guys have it? Did it work? Oh, come on. Who said yes? Okay. So... <laughs> This is a picture of, of, a, of a young man uh, with a tattoo that says no regrets, right? Unfortunately, ironically, it is misspelled and has an A instead of an E. Now, why would I bring that up? It was not loving for his friends to let him get that tattoo misspelled on his chest. It was not kind. It was not being a good friend. It was not being helpful. It was not being like Jesus. 
to go, ah, not a big deal, it's just one letter. You only have it forever, a misspelled word on your chest. Now, all these situations are completely ridiculous, right? We're completely ridiculous notions. However, I see them play out in people's lives all the time. All the time. I'm concerned that some of us would rather bask in the unrighteous, disingenuous, false comfort of the world than receive true, loving correction from a fellow believer. I am also concerned that some of us have become so fragile and insecure that we simply cannot bear critique to such an extent that we cut off relationship one by one with anyone who has anything constructive to say to us that doesn't already align with our current beliefs and behaviors. So fragile. Oh, I I don't need haters in my life. You're canceled. It's funny because you guys understand what's happening in culture, but it's actually something, it's okay to laugh about, but it's evil. It's evil. It is evil that we are so fragile that we cannot handle any critique whatsoever, so we just cut off relationship when someone disagrees with us. That is not just, that's not just, oh, that's a bummer. No, it's, it's evil. It's not of God. Sorry, was that a little bit too direct? I'm not Sorry. Now, did you notice that Solomon says that open rebuke is actually better than hidden love? Whoa, but isn't love the greatest? No, it is. Let's continue. I would like to make the argument that Solomon is saying that open rebuke done in the right spirit with the right intention is love. And it's a better love than a love that is hidden and without action. Paul said, what, what is it Paul says in Romans 12? Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. I don't think it's a coincidence that those three phrases are said together. If you want to love well, there is a place for calling to attention things that are destructive in your friend's life. Then we look at Hebrews. This This is the one I've been waiting for. Oh, I can't wait. We look at Hebrews and we see the phrase, stir up one another to love and good works, which sounds nice, doesn't it? It's like, oh, you mean like stirring a milkshake, you know, just, just getting everything nice and smooth and creamy and, yeah, yeah. and just, yeah, it's like st- that kind of stirring. No, absolutely not. Um, not even close. Uh, the Greek word for stir up there is paroxysmos. Don't know why all the words had to be so stinking difficult to pronounce tonight. I, ha- I literally have to put the phonetic spelling on every one of these because I had no chance otherwise. I literally have P-A-R-O-X- O-O-S-M-O-S and little dashes in between all those to make sure that I say it correctly. I, I admit, I'm not a Greek scholar. It means, get this, stimulation, provocation, irritation, or angry dispute. Just a nice little stir up. Just a nice, just stir it up. It's only used twice in the New Testament. Here in in Hebrews chapter 10, but also in a place that you might remember in Acts chapter 15, where it is translated as a sharp disagreement. You may remember the sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas when they could not decide on whether to take John Mark with them on their ministry travels. Same Greek word, a sharp disagreement. So in light of that, of the very contextual meaning of, of this word, we could read the Hebrews 10 passages such. 
sharply disagree with one another or irritate each other or provoke each other to love and good works. Has a little bit of a different vibe than stir, just stir each other. I think stir is the softest version and softest translation you could possibly get out of that word, which I get it. I know that we like to do that. Unfortunately, I believe that the church of 2020 has become all too tolerant of, of worldly behavior among believers and all too intolerant of righteous reproof. For whatever reason, it seems to me that we've made our relationship with God so personal and so individualized that no one is allowed to have any input. No one's allowed to speak into it. But that is not the pattern that we see in Scripture at all. Hebrews 10 continues on. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, which the author is going, some people have decided that they could just, but I'm telling you otherwise. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And my friends, compared to the day that Hebrews 10 was written, the day is drawing much nearer. I'm not saying when, but it's definitely nearer. A couple thousand years nearer. Do you know what happens to people who think they can follow Jesus without external input? They get weird. I'm going to say that again. Do you know what happens to people who think they can follow Jesus without external input from other human beings, from other believers? They get weird. I think some people are offended by that. That's okay. Because intimacy, hear this, intimacy is cultivated in the secret place. But accuracy is tested in the meeting place. I'm going to say it again. Intimacy is cultivated in the secret place. But accuracy is tested in the the meeting place. And if you try to do one without the other, you will either become shallow or you will become strange. And I don't mean the good kind of strange where you're like, well, I want to be strange. I want to be set apart and holy. I'm not talking about that strange. I'm talking about the kind of strange that abandons sound doctrine and wanders into heresy. If you don't know what heresy means, it means, oh, isn't Aslan wonderful? I, he's, such an, he's such a killer drummer. And then I heard him jump on acoustic tonight and my dad walks over and he goes, my dad calls him Lion because of Aslan. And he goes, Aslan, or Lion can play the acoustic. And I'm like, yes, he can. Yes, he can. Thank you, Aslan. Um, where, where was I? Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, heresy, a false teaching, a teaching that is outside of truth, outside of orthodoxy. And I mean, there's, that word has also been twisted too. So outside of what is right and good, what is true of the scriptures, okay? I don't want to be shallow or strange. If you only have the meeting place, you will be shallow. You must cultivate a secret place if you want to go deep in the things of God. But if you think you can only have a secret place, let me tell you, you will be so funky. You want to know how cults get started? It's people wandering off and thinking, well, I have the perfect interpretation of Scripture. That's how cults get started. So, Seth, what about the passage about removing the log in your own eye before you take out the speck from your brother's eye? Oh, good. I'm so glad you brought up Matthew 7, 5. One of the most misused scriptures in all of the New Testament. 
I, I am dumbfounded at how poorly this, this, this scripture is used in the church. I'm not saying heart of the city church. I'm just saying overall by Christians. Well, take the law. Okay. Oh my gosh. To interpret Jesus as saying, don't ever speak into your brother's life because you must make mistakes too is to grossly miss what Jesus is saying and it's completely contradictory to his ministry and the ministry of the apostles. Sorry, not sorry. Notice, notice his wording. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I would submit to you that Jesus is actually saying, before you go, before you go and correct your brother, Take, take a moment to examine your own heart and your own life so that you don't approach this completely wrong. Don't go and put your own garbage on your brother when you go and correct them. Don't, don't go and bring your own baggage and throw it on someone. Really, that, that's something just between you and me. He is speaking to the proper order and the way of bringing correction, not doing this. This is Oh, I, if I hear, if I hear this again in the, in, in the Western church, I'm, I'm going to blow my lid. Not telling people that we should all just wait for the Holy Spirit to individually correct every person without intervention from another human being. That is not biblical. That is a completely postmodern thought that goes, no, you never say anything to them. You just let the Holy Spirit convict them. The Holy Spirit is there to convict, absolutely. But do you know who God uses most of the time? You and me. Yes. That is how he has chosen to communicate, my friends. Yes. Through you and me. Yes. So don't, don't sit back on that and go, well, the Holy Spirit will tell them when they're doing wrong. Yeah, through your mouth. <laughs> now, if you're sitting there and thinking to yourself, amen. I've been waiting for a preacher to tell me it's okay to call people out on social media. And, 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 and I've been waiting for a preacher to tell me it's okay, to, it's okay to, to slam people behind their backs when I don't agree with them. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Although I have been guilty of both of those things at times and I am learning and I'm a work in progress and I am actively repenting from the way that I have mistreated rebuke. There's a lot more nuance to the love language of rebuke than that, than calling people out on social media and slamming them publicly and just makes you feel so good for a moment. But it's only a moment. It's like going to McDonald's. Honestly, you go to McDonald's and you feel the pleasure of the moment. Yeah, I just told them off. And then afterwards you're like, whoa, that wasn't good for me. And you have spiritual diarrhea and you're like, oh, maybe I, should, maybe, maybe I should approach it a little bit more healthy next time. Maybe I should go to the person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Instruction to bring healthy correction is not permission to act like a jerk. There's a difference. Okay, I want to bring some balance to this. If you remember the story that I began with, you'll notice that I talked about the closeness of a relationship that was cultivated on the staff during that season. When Craig openly rebuked me, he did it in the context of intimate friendship. I knew Craig loved me when he said, I rebuke that. I knew he cared about me. We had been through stuff. Craig and I had cultivated rapport and 
trust. Faithful was his wound to me. His open rebuke was better than hidden love in that situation. If he would have kept his mouth shut and let me just continue to pop off about, about kids ministry, you know what that had done? It would have breeded unhealth among our staff in not supporting each other in our ministries. It would have been less loving for him to remain silent in that moment. Let that be a reminder. Sometimes it is less loving to remain silent. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's not from scripture, but I think it's a pretty good phrase. I think it aligns with scripture pretty well. Now, is close friendship biblically required for rebuke? No, it's not. And I don't, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying that. But I will say this. If someone does not feel cared for by you, it is very, very small chance that they're going to receive from you. And that's the point of rebuke from the beginning. Let me say that again. If someone does not feel cared for by you, it is very unlikely that they will receive rebuke from you, which is the point of rebuke in the first place. It's not for you to get on your high horse and tout about how you're right and they're wrong. It is to break down deception and strongholds and then to restore in love. So no, you don't need to be best friends with someone to rebuke them. But if you are not doing it from a place of love and they don't know you're doing it from a place of love, good luck. I don't believe in luck, and you guys hear me, it's a colloquial phrase. Godspeed to you, because probably not a chance they're going to receive from you if they don't feel cared for by you. I'm just saying, very small chance. We earn the ear of people when we give them our heart first. I'm going to say it again. We earn the ear of people when we give them our heart first. And that's why I'm preaching this message on City Group Launch Week, and you're like, isn't this about groups and finding freedom? Yes, it absolutely is. Like I said in the beginning, we believe that people find freedom primarily in the context of relationship in a small group atmosphere. At Heart of the City Church, we don't meet in small groups to put a check in a Christian cultural box. We meet in small groups because we believe that God has created humanity in such a way that we can live the life to the fullest if and only if we walk this journey being tightly knit together in deep connectedness with other believers. We were not meant to walk alone. We weren't. Now you can come here every weekend and you can slip in and you can slip out. That's a choice for you. You can come and you can sing to the Lord with us. You can hear the word preached with us. And, and we can encounter God together and there will be much benefit from that. But if that's where it stops and we don't ever get down to the nitty gritty with each other and talk about the real stuff in a smaller context, we will miss out on a humongous part of God's plan for our lives. Do not be deceived into thinking that because your Sunday or Saturday attendance record is spotless that you have had real relationship. Don't presume that. Now I will admit a life lived in authentic, genuine community is not comfortable or convenient. No, it's not. I mean, if, you, if you've done it, you, I don't need to tell you, you know. This life comes with getting your feathers, feathers ruffled, comes with getting rubbed the wrong way, comes with the 
nasty parts inside of our hearts being exposed by light. It comes with great effort and pain, but it is worth it. That's how the people describe, when people ask me, there's, there's a few things in my life where I go, is it perfect? No. Is it nice all the time? No. Is it in the most convenient way? No. But it's worth it. It's worth it because it beckons us. It beckons us. I can't do real relationship with people without drawing near to God. But God says, I also cannot say that I love him if I hate my brother. What a crazy cast 22 that he has set before us. That we are simultaneously called to intimacy and community and intimacy and community in this beautiful dance. And we can rest in this truth that if we will live, I think of this, I think of this poem from back in high school. It said, and I took the road less traveled. And it has made all the difference. If you will take the road less traveled, if you will walk on the path of deep, rich, real relationship and community, it's going to hurt, but it's going to do something beautiful inside of you. And the good fruit is this. Let me, let me recall. I'm going to close with this from James. My brothers, this is the fruit of a life lived in that way. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that, whatever, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That sounds a lot like love to me. The sixth love language, rebuke. Amen, Seth. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace that you are, you are patient with us. And that even when we're total knuckleheads, you, you hold my hand. You hold my hand. Even when I'm a rebel punk, you hold my hand. And we pray that today, Lord, that you would just, you would just trans, do that work inside of us, just as Stephen was saying, that you're going to perfect the work you started in us. God, teach us how to take the road less traveled, to live in real community with each other, and to be transformed in the presence of you, the Most High God, and in the presence of your bride, your people, the church. In Jesus' name.